Well, hey, First Church, hope you guys are doing well. And right now we have family that's joining us out at Stone Canyon as well as those watching online. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome them into our service here today. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I love music and I love to sing. The problem is I'm not that good at it, and people tell me that all the time. I don't know how often Allison's told me, Chad, who sings that song? And I'll tell her the name of the band or the group, and she'll be like, just let them do it, because she doesn't like to hear me sing at all. I'm not very talented, but it's not just that I'm a bad singer. I'm also bad at remembering song lyrics. And let me just see, by a show of hands at all of our campuses, how many of you know somebody that's bad at remembering song lyrics? Anybody? Okay, I said raise your hand, not point, okay? I don't want to know if they're sitting beside you. Just raise your hand and let me know. I've done this my entire life. You know, I'll get a song in my head, I'll start singing, and if I don't know the words, I just make up my own lyrics. I even do this in worship sometimes, which is really bad. If you've ever stood beside me in worship while we're singing, the, song, the words are up on the screen, yet I still make up my own lyrics. I did it this morning. I caught myself. I was like, why don't you just read the words off the screen? But it's just a problem I have. But like I said, I've done this since I was a kid. And let me give you a few examples. Uh, like, for instance, the song, you've probably heard it, I'm a Believer, uh, Smash Mouth did a rendition of a few years ago, but the monkeys sang it before them. It goes like this. Now, the actual line is, then I saw her face, now I'm a believer, and you guys know that. But I didn't know that for the longest time, and this is what I sang. Then I saw her face, now I'm going to leave her. Now, some of you guys are thinking, I know that girl. I know exactly who you're talking about. I saw her face, I'm out of there. First blind date ever went on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but that's what I used to sing, and one day Alice was just like, uh, no, that's not right at all. And so I had to learn the right lyrics. Another example, you've probably heard the song We Are Family by Sister Sledge. It goes like this. And the actual words are, we are family, I got all my sisters with me. But what I used to sing is, we are family, mama, sisters, brothers, let's eat. I didn't know what they were saying at all, but that's what I thought they were saying, because when my family got together, we always ate. We always gathered around a meal. Mama, sisters, brothers, let's eat. It made sense to me. I had a friend, uh, I do have a friend named CJ, a buddy, and he, I was singing that one time, we were in the car drive, and he was like, Chad, that's not even close. And I was like, okay, my bad. Now, I have another friend who preaches in central Kentucky, and he has a same problem. He was telling me this one day about how he likes to make up his own words when he's singing a song, especially when he doesn't know the lyrics. And he, he mentioned a song that was sung by uh, Credence Clearwater Revival. He said that his brothers used to listen to that group, CCR. And they have a song that goes like this. You've probably heard it. Now again, the actual line is, there's a bad moon on the rise. But he swore his entire life the line was, there's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> and you know, after he told me that, I can't hear that song without singing, there's a bathroom on the right. I mean, listen to it again. Pay careful attention. Here it comes. Get ready. Isn't that what it says? I mean, seriously, I can't hear it any other way now. But you know, as I think about 
my life and how I've often sang the wrong lyrics to songs, it reminds me of a very important life truth. There is a connection here, I promise. And that life truth is this. We don't always know what we think we know. We don't always know what we think we know. Sometimes in life we can be pretty confident confident that we have the right answer, that we know exactly what's going on, that we know the best choice to make, that we know what's coming next. We're pretty confident until we discover that we were completely wrong. We don't always know what we think we know. And as we read through the Gospels and say the life of Jesus, what we discover is the more people hung around Jesus, the more they realize just that. And that was especially true for Jesus' disciples. And we're going to look at a passage that underscores this in Mark chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me Mark chapter 12. And this is where we're going to study this morning. And I want to set up the scene like this. Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, is in the last week of his life. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he only has a few days left with his disciples. And so he begins to pour into them some important stuff that he wants them to remember. He's with his disciples in the city of Jerusalem. And this is the Tuesday prior to his death. They're walking around Jerusalem, and Jesus takes them to a special spot in Jerusalem where the temple was located. And once they enter the temple grounds, the temple compound, Jesus takes them to an even more specific location known as the temple treasury. He says, hey guys, I want to show you something. I want you to pay attention to something. Now, the temple treasury, it was this outdoor room that was surrounded with uh, columns. And in this colonnade, there were 13 large brass containers, kind of like the one I have up on stage with me today. Now, the containers that were in the temple treasury in Jesus' day were a lot bigger than this. They were about five to six times this size, and they were about as tall from the floor to your waist, maybe a little bit higher. But this is where people would place their offerings when they would come to the temple. They would put their offerings in these large brass containers. So Jesus takes his disciples into this colonnade, this outdoor room surrounded by columns, and they sit on the opposite side of where these 13 containers are set up, and Jesus says something to his disciples. Look with me, if you would, in Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So let's pause here for a second. This is kind of odd. Jesus says, hey, guys, come here, come here. I want you to pay careful attention to something. I want you to look at something. I want you to watch how people put their money in the treasury, in the temple offering. Well, that's kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, this word watch that Jesus uses in Greek means to look discerningly, to look with purpose. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention to what people are giving. Now, that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, a little awkward for us because we don't want anybody to watch us closely when we give. We don't want anybody to know what we're giving. Most of us probably don't. It's a little bit awkward. And yet, Jesus says, pay careful attention. Watch how people are giving. Watch what they're giving. And in verse 41, it says, as they watch people give, as they watch people giving to the offering, verse 41 says, many rich people threw in large amounts, large amounts of money. Now, my question is, how did they know? 
How did they know that these rich people were throwing in large amounts of money? I mean, did they get so close that they watched the exact amount that they threw inside? No, it says that they're sitting on the opposite side. They're watching from a distance. So did they do man-on-the-street interviews? The disciples run up to somebody after they put money in the offering and say, Hey, buddy, how much did you put in? And how did they know the guy was telling the truth if he did give them a number? How do they know? Well, the truth is everyone kind of knew what everyone else put in the offering. See, the only form of currency that was used in this day was coinage. They didn't have paper currency. Gold, silver, and copper coins, that's what was used. A gold coin in this day and age was worth about $300, $350 in today's, by today's standards. A silver coin was worth about $80 by today's standard. And a copper coin was worth, well, maybe a dollar, a dollar and a half or so by today's standard. And so when someone would put these coins into the containers... Each coin had its own weight, and you knew by the weight of the coin and the number of coins that someone put in about the amount that someone was giving to the temple that day. And so you would put a coin in, such as a gold coin or a silver coin, which I said were bigger and weightier, and it would sound something like this. So it would sound like, and you would know. That was the sound of somebody putting in maybe $500, $600 or so. And you just kind of knew that. But if somebody was giving even more money, let's say somebody was putting in $1,000, they would bring their money bag with them and they would pull it out and it might sound something like this. Now if somebody was giving an even bigger offering like $5,000, what you would hear something more like, more like this. And then if they were giving a really big offering, like $10,000, they would just come up and empty their money bag and everybody would just kind of sit back and say, wow, what a big offering. That's a whole lot of money. And the Bible says that there were a lot of rich people there that day. Remember, it's Passover week. This is the biggest holiday of the year. This is like people showing up to church on Christmas or Easter. This is a huge holiday. So a lot of people came to give special offerings this time of year. And I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes or the disciples' sandals just for a second. And you're listening to what everybody is putting in. What would you consider to be a large offering? What would you consider to be a generous gift? What would be one of those offerings that when you heard it, you would say, oh, boy, that's, that's a big gift. That's a generous gift. Would it be $100? $500? dollars $1,000? I'm sure most would say if someone put in $10,000, wow, what a generous gift. And so you're one of the disciples, you're watching all this play out, and sure enough, somebody comes and they give $10,000. And you look at one another like, can you believe that? Did you see that? Or better, did you hear that? And then somebody else comes along and they put in $20,000 and you're just stunned. Wow, can you believe that offering? That's just awesome. But then from the back of the room, A man walks in, and he walks in with the money bag, and he's shaking it. Jesus said in this day, people like to show off how much money they were going to give. So he walks in from the back of the room, he's doing a little dance, he's shaking, so everybody's looking at him, and he walks up to one of these bronze containers, he opens up his money bag, and he does this.
If you were one of the disciples, you were probably thinking, I've never seen anything like that. That guy just put in a six-figure offering. And probably you're looking at one another, and then you think, I wonder what Jesus thinks about that. So you turn to Jesus, your master, your Lord. Like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, did you see that? Did you hear that? Did you see how much money that guy just put in? And you look at Jesus. And Jesus isn't even paying attention to that man. It's like he didn't even hear it, didn't even see it. Jesus' eyes are fixed on someone else. Jesus' eyes, they're fixed on a raggedy older lady who walks in from the other side of the room. And she comes in, and Mark 12, verse 43 says, I'm sorry, Mark 12, verse 42 says, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. So here comes this unkept, poor-looking woman, and she walks up to one of the bronze containers on the other side of the room, and Jesus is fixated on her, and she puts in two small copper coins. Mark's gospel tells us it was worth about a fraction of a penny. That's by their standards in that day. We might think of it as putting in a dollar or two. Now that's after you've just watched people write checks that are worth 15,000, 20,000, 30,000 or more dollars. And then you see this woman come in and put in a dollar or two. I can just see Peter. I don't know if he did or not, but Peter had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth and I can identify with Peter. I could just see Peter watching that older widow and saying, why'd she even bother? Why'd she even show up today? Just kind of rolling his eyes. And I bet if Peter or any of the other disciples had a reaction like that, that's when Jesus gave them the death stare. <laughs> Anybody ever see the death stare from their spouse or maybe from their a parent? Allison gives me the death stare every single time that I misquote song lyrics. I know, I get it all the time. Jesus probably gave Peter or whoever the death stare at that moment. And Jesus, in verse 43 calls his disciples to him, and he says, look at what he says. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more, more into the treasury than all the others. And I'm sure Jesus' disciples at this point are probably thinking, huh? What? What's he talking about? I mean, I can just see Matthew. Remember, Matthew used to be a tax collector, before he followed Jesus, he was a tax collector. I can just see Matthew speaking to him and say, uh, Jesus, uh, can I interrupt just for a second? I know you don't like people to oppose you or argue with you. I know you get mad at the Pharisees for doing that. But you're also all about truth, and I just feel like you need to know something. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I'm a CPA. I've got my MBA. I took advanced calculus in college. And I've been running the numbers here a little bit. I've been watching everything take place. And I've been running the numbers. And that woman, she actually gave less than everyone else. And I'm sure at that moment, Jesus just gave his disciples a loving parental look and said, guys, you don't understand. You don't get it. Verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And just like that, Jesus blew away their idea of what generosity looked like. 
Jesus is trying to teach them something. He's trying to teach them that God measures value differently than us. That God measures generosity based on our hearts, not on an amount. Let me say that again. God measures generosity based on our hearts, not on an amount. You see, everyone in the temple that day, even Jesus' disciples, they knew the amount that each person gave, give or take a few coins. But Jesus knew something they didn't know. Jesus knew their income earned. And so Jesus probably called Matthew over and said, okay, hey, Matthew, Mr. CPA, Mr. Math Whiz, let me ask you a couple questions. You remember that one offering that you, that you guys witnessed? Where that person put in $2,000, remember that offering? Is that a big or a small amount? And Matthew's probably thinking, well, you know, it's a substantial amount, but compared to some of the other offerings we saw today, it's kind of a small offering. And Jesus then probably said to Matthew, well, what if I told you that that person who gave $2,000, what if I told you that they make 20000 a year. What's the percentage there, Matthew, Mr. Mathwiz? Well, that's 10%, Jesus. Jesus, well, that's exactly what God expects of us. That's what God asks of each of us. That's actually not a small offering at all. That's exactly what God asks of us. Okay, Matthew, what about another offering you saw today? You saw somebody else put in 5000 didn't you? Oh, yeah, Jesus, I remember. Was that a small or was that a big gift? And Matthew's thinking, well, you know, that's a lot bigger than 2000 Obviously, five is bigger than two, right? $5,000 is a pretty good-sized offering. And Jesus says, yeah, but what if I told you the person who put in that offering, well, they make 90000 a year. What's the percentage now? Anybody know right offhand? 5.6%. You guys think I'm good at math. I have a cheat sheet back here, so don't worry about that. 5.6%. So now, which offering is actually bigger? 10%? 5.6%. Okay, Matthew, let me give you another example. Remember that person that put in $25,000? Oh, yeah, that was a huge offering, Jesus. That was enormous. Yeah, but that person, they make 800000 a year. What's the percentage now, Matthew? Well, Jesus, that's 3.1%. Is that as big as the others, Matthew? Let me ask you another question, Matthew. Remember that one offering that was $60,000? Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that one. Is that a big or small offering? This one, Matthew's nervous. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm going to say small because I've been wrong on all these others. I guess I'm going to say that was a small offering. And Jesus says, well, that person makes 250000 What's the percentage there? Well, Jesus, that's 24%. He says, actually, that was a huge offering. And I think at that point, Jesus had gathered all of his disciples together. He said, hey, guys, guys, come here, come here. Pay attention. What's two dollars or two mites divided by two dollars? Everybody knew the answer to that one. You don't have to have advanced calculus to know that one. Well, Jesus, that's 100%. 
And Jesus says, now, which was the biggest gift? See, we have a tendency in our culture to focus on this column right here, the amount. We're obsessed with the amount. We're wrapped up in amounts. You hear a news story or you read a story online about somebody who gave uh, some big gift, and we focus on the amount. But God is focused on this column because God knows what the percentage represents. And I think in this moment, the disciples are stunned. They've never thought about it like that before. And they had just judged this entire situation wrong. Jesus just completely upset their definition of what's generous. And Jesus teaches them an essential truth that I think we need to be reminded of on occasion, and it's this. God doesn't look at the amount you give, but the percentage it represents. And I think that's why Jesus focuses in on this woman, this poor widow, because he's teaching his disciples that God doesn't want something from you as much as he wants something for you. In other words, God doesn't need your money. It took me a while to understand that. I didn't realize that growing up as a kid. When I was a kid, I would watch the, these men come down the aisles. They would collect the offering. And I thought that those offering trays that they used, I thought they were supernatural or magical or something. I honestly believe there was some place in our church building where these men would put these offering trays and whoop, they go right up to heaven. I honestly thought that. And as a kid, my image of God was this guy up in the clouds who had all these coins and bills and all this money. That's what I thought. And God just wanted our money. I grew up in church. My parents, faithful Christians, that's what I thought. I had this image of God was him up in the, in the clouds with all this money. But the better I got to know God, when I started to actually have a relationship with him, I realized something. God doesn't need my money, but he desperately wants my heart. And the same is true for you. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cosmos. It's all his anyway. But he wants your heart. And Jesus teaches in Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart and your money will always be connected. Let me illustrate it like this, if you want to follow me to this table over here. I've got a piggy bank up here that represents our treasure. And I've got a wooden heart that represents our hearts. And if you will notice, there's a chain that connects them. Our treasure, whatever we treasure, will always be connected to our heart. And wherever our treasure goes, our heart is going to follow. Jesus says they're tied together, they're linked together, they're chained together. And he doesn't say where your heart goes, your treasure will follow. No, no. Where your treasure goes, your heart follows. Guys, you want to know what Chad brought us treasures? Follow my treasure. Now, I know that's a play on words, but it's true. You want to know what I treasure? Follow my treasure. Just do an audit of how I spend my time, how I spend my money, and you'll know where my heart truly is. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. 
And God will never have your heart until you put your treasure where he is. Let me say that again. God will never have your heart until you put your treasure where he is. And I'm convinced that that's why in Scripture, God gives us the example, the instruction of the tithe. The Bible teaches that we are to give the top 10% of what we earn back to God. Not what's left over at the end, but the top 10%, the tithe, to God. In fact, in Leviticus 27, verse 30, the Bible says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. God says the first 10%, the tithe of everything you earn, it belongs to me. It's holy, set apart for me. Now, why does God say that? Why does God give us that example? Because God needs that 10% of what we earn? Of course not. It's because we need that. See, by putting the first 10% of what we make aside for God and giving it to Him, we are showing in a very tangible way that we are putting Him first. We are making an effort to align our hearts with His heart. Because He knows where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. I think God gives us this example of the tithe for our good. I'm learning something about Oklahoma. In the summer, it gets hot here. I am learning that. In fact, I was talking to one of our elders here at First Church just the other day, and we were talking about it when I was first being interviewed at the end of last summer. And my first few interviews, they were Skype interviews uh, to where we were looking at each other through a computer. And apparently, this elder told the search team before my first interview, you know, before we tuned in and saw one another, before my interview started, he turned to the search team and said, whatever you do, do not tell Chad how hot it is right now here in Oklahoma. I'm not sure if that's deception. I think we need to hold our elders accountable. So if you would pray for them they need it but I think that might have been I mean, a little deceptive but anyway it's all right I'm actually enjoying the warm weather it's nice we have hot days back in Kentucky not like not like here and so uh, we're enjoying it it's nice but we take precautions with our kids our kids love to be outside and Allison my wife she is especially good at this whenever the kids go outside she'll let them play for a while but she makes sure that, that they take breaks and so they'll come inside and they'll get water or whatever and maybe put some more sunscreen on to make sure they don't burn she wants to make sure that they stay healthy and don't get sick or dehydrated or anything like that, which is smart. That's being a good mom. But the other day I was home, it was a Saturday, and I was out mowing the yard, and I finished mowing the yard, and when I did, Allison made the kids stop and sit in the shade for a few minutes, put some more sunscreen on them to make sure they were okay, gave them a drink, a drink of water, and Alex didn't want to stop playing. You know, he's a boy, he's almost five years old, he don't want to stop playing, he doesn't understand why he needs to stop, and so he looked at his mom when Allison told him to stop playing and take a break, and he said, you're mean, and I heard him say that now. Now, that did not go over well with me. He's not going to talk to his mama like that. So I set him aside and I said, no, no, no. Your mom is not mean. She just loves you. She's looking out for you. She cares for you. And she just wants what's best for you. She's trying to take care of you. Your mom loves you. And Alice looked back at me and goes, well, she has a funny way of showing it. And so I had to explain to him, <laughs> again, exactly what his mom was doing. Now, let me ask you guys. Was Allison being mean? Of course not. She's being a good mom. She wants to take care of her kids. She doesn't want anything to hurt them. She's just being a good parent. And I think God knows something. I think God knows that selfishness and greed will kill our spiritual lives quicker than anything else. 
And that's why he gave us this example of the tithe to make sure that we put him first. Because he knows if you don't put him first in your finances, he'll never be first in your life. The Bible teaches that. If you don't put God first in your finances, he'll never be first in your life. So practically speaking, what does that mean for us? Some of you who are listening to this message today, you don't make a whole lot of money. You just don't. And that's okay. But you faithfully tithe because you want to honor God first. And I know sometimes you might write your check or go to our First Church app or give your offering online, maybe even put cash in the plate. And when you give whatever amount you give, you look at that small amount and you think, I just don't know if God could do anything with such a small amount. I want to let you know something today. God never looks at your gift that way because he knows what your gift represents. He knows your heart. He knows you could use that for something else, but you're putting him first. He knows what your gift means. He knows what it represents. He knows your heart. Now, on the flip side, some of you listening to this message today, you've been blessed with wealth. God has given you a lot of wealth. And so you will occasionally write big checks to our church, and that's okay. We don't want you to stop doing that because in order for our church to do ministry, it has to be resourced. So I'm not insulting you for doing that, but I do want to remind you of a key truth. God isn't impressed with amounts. He looks at the heart. And so that amount that you give, if you've been blessed with wealth, what does it represent? I'll never get talking to a preacher at a real large mega church one time and him telling me that he meets with his top givers every single year. He doesn't know how much they give, but he knows who are like the top 10, 15 givers and he meets with them and he always tells them, you are one of our biggest givers, but we want you to know you may not be our most generous giver, one of our most generous givers. Because the single mom who's barely making it but is giving above her tithe right now to our church because she wants to put Jesus first and she believes in our mission, percentage-wise, it's a more generous gift. John Weiss in his book, Jesus Prom, writes these words. Generosity is not measured by how much we give away. Generosity is measured by how much we keep for ourselves. God's love is too big and my heart is too small to contain it all. And I believe that's the point that Jesus wants to make in the temple treasury on the Tuesday before he goes to the cross. He wants to remind his disciples, he wants to remind us, God measures generosity not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. He measures generosity not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. And Jesus praises this widow in our passage, not because of the amount she gave, but because of what she didn't keep for herself what she could have kept for herself, but instead she chose to give to God. Now this widow in Mark chapter 12 gives everything she has to live on. God isn't asking us to sell all of our possessions and give everything we have away to the church. That's not the point of this message. Don't misunderstand me. The point of this message is the widow's heart. The point of this message is Jesus is telling us that we need to redefine our definition of generous. He's asking us to reflect on our giving and measure it differently. Because God measures generosity not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. 
Shortly before I became a teenager, I wanted to earn some money. So I told my dad I was going to start a business of mowing yards around our neighborhood. And he said, yeah, that's fine. Go do that. So I went around to all my neighbors, passed out little flyers that I made up. And, hey, I'll mow your yard for a certain price. And four or five of them agreed to let me do it. Can't believe it. I didn't have any experience mowing yards besides my own. I wasn't a professional or anything. But is that sure? I guess they just didn't want to mow theirs. And so I went around, and I, I would mow four or five yards in our neighborhood uh, about every other week or so, depending on what was needed. And what was funny, the first time after I made some money, and it wasn't a lot of money, but the first time after I made some money mowing yards, I was sitting on my bed, and I was counting all the money that I'd made. And my dad walked in the room, and my dad said, Now, I want you to do something for me, Chad. I want you to give, for every $10 you made, I want you to give $1 to God. And I looked at him, I said, Dad, I didn't make that much money. And he said, Yeah, I know you didn't, but I still, I want you to do that. Because the Bible teaches that we're to put him first. Out of every $10 you made, I want you to give $1 back to God. And I kind of wanted to argue with him, and dad said, let me tell you a story. He said, when your mom and I first got married, before you and your brother came along, I was transferred, and we went to a town that we'd never been to before, and your mom had a job, and she had to leave that job to come with me, and there's a lot of expenses when it comes to moving. I didn't know that at that point. I understand it now. There are a lot of expenses that come along with moving, that go along with moving, but he said, you know, there were moving expenses, and then just the transition, and uh, the cost of living was higher where we moved to. Your mom didn't have a job for a good amount of time. There were some unforeseen medical bills that came along, and my dad said, we were barely making it. We were scraping to get by. He said, times were really tough. And he looked at me, he said, but you know what? During that entire period, we never stopped giving to the church. We never stopped tithing. It was tough to do so, and there were several weeks where I thought, I'm just going to keep this to myself, for myself. My dad said, we never stopped tithing. And I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, don't you think that God would have understood if you did? He said, yeah, he probably would have. But this was a way for us to show that God was first in our lives, that we were trusting in him. And my dad looked at me and he said, I knew that if I didn't put God first in this way, I might be tempted not to put him first in other areas of my life as well. You know, that was hard for me to hear that my parents were scraping to get by because all my life, now we were never extremely wealthy or anything, but my brother and I, we never wanted for anything. And to hear that, that kind of shocked me. And my dad has told me his entire life he believes, again, never extremely wealthy. But things have been stable, and they've had their rocky times, but still, they've got through it. Because they've always put God first in that way. See, generosity is simple. But it isn't easy. It takes discipline. It's hard work. But I'm convinced one of the primary things you can do to align your heart with God's heart is to be generous. Now, that's generous not just with money. It's also with time and other gifts that God has given us. I don't want to ignore those things. But I think this passage's focus is money. The reason why we're generous is not because we're trying to pay God back or not simply because the Bible commands us to be generous. The reason why we're generous is because we appreciate what God's done for us. And we want to be as much like him as we possibly can. Because here's the thing. No matter how much you give, you cannot outgive God. No matter how much you give, you cannot outgive God. 
We should be an extremely generous people because we worship an extremely generous God. A few weeks ago, a lady in our church asked my family to go out to eat. So we went out to eat with her, and she's, um, her kids are grown, and she lives on a fixed income. Her husband passed away some time ago. And so we're eating at a restaurant, and it came time for the bill to be paid, and she wanted to pay our bill. And I said, like, oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. I said, we're a family of four, and you're here by yourself. We can get our own meal. And she said, no, I want to. I asked you to come out and eat. No, let me, let me get the bill. And we were just like, no, no, seriously, let us get our own at least. Like, you just take care of yours then, and we'll get ours. And she's like, no, 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 no. I, I asked you guys to come out. Let me do this for you. And she kept saying, let me bless you. Let me bless you today. And I just, I just couldn't do that. I mean, I felt really bad about it. And I kept telling her, no, seriously, no. And about that time, she goes, listen, Chad, you've been preaching for us to love like Jesus. Let me love like Jesus in this moment. And I'm thinking, don't quote my sermons to me. I don't want to hear that. I hate it when you all quote what I say back to me. You know, it's awful. And so I still put up a little bit of a fight. And then Alex looked at me, and he was mad because I guess he wanted to go home. And he said, Daddy, just let her love like Jesus. And I was just like, okay, okay, I will. I've been convicted in this moment. I, I will. Wouldn't it be great if people looked at our church, people on the outside, and they said, boy, that's a generous church, but then someone else quickly stopped them and said, no, they're just a church that loves like Jesus. They're not trying to be generous. They're just trying to be like Jesus. And when you try to be like, gener- uh, like Jesus, generosity just comes along as a natural result. Wouldn't it be great if we were known for being the most generous church in Northeast Oklahoma, all because we decided as a church we're going to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can be? We should be an extremely generous people because we worship an extremely generous God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today, this time we've had to meet together as your church, first church in this place. And Father, I know the subject that we talked about today, the subject of money and giving, it's a sensitive subject. It's one that a lot of people don't like to hear. It's one that's always, it's not always fun to preach on, really. But Father, it comes from your word, and it's it's a subject that Jesus talked about just days before he went to the cross. Obviously, it's important. Obviously, it's something we need to listen to. And so, Father, we pray that we don't sit back and just hear what your word says and then walk away and say, yeah, that was a good sermon. But that, Father, we let your truth convict our hearts and that we be generous to others as you have been generous to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.